All opinions expressed by Davidson Capital Management on MoneyWise are solely theirs and are based upon information they consider reliable and is subject to change without notice. You should be aware of the risk in investing in any security or investment strategy discussed on the show. Before acting, you should consider whether it is suitable for your particular circumstances and should seek advice from your own financial or investment advisor. Past performance is not indicative of future results. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Got your Money Wise guys back inside the Money Wise studio with me for this weekend show. I have my brother Jeff, Joe Rust, and I am your host, Kyle Davidson. For any new listeners to the Money Wise program, Davidson Capital Management is a fee-only registered investment advisor. We're in our 34th year of business, and with offices in San Antonio and Corpus Christi, we have your investment management needs covered throughout Central and South Texas. And if you'd like to learn more about us, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Tuesday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. And don't forget, you can subscribe to the Money Wise podcast through Apple Podcasts or any of your favorite streaming podcast apps where you can leave your comments. And don't forget to like the show. As we kick off every weekend's Money Wise program, I turn it over to my I turn it over to my brother Jeff to go into the numbers from Wall Street from last week. So Jeff, take it away. Okay, in the week just passed, the Dow Jones Industrial Average was down about three hundred and thirty-three points or one percent. The S and P five hundred last week was up up about thirteen and a half points or three tenths of one percent. And the NASDAQ last week was up about three hundred and eighteen points or two and a half percent. Now, for the year to date, the Dow Jones Industrial Average is down two tenths of a percent. The S&P 500 year to date is up nine and a half percent, and the Nasdaq year to date is up twenty four percent. Can you say AI all together now, everyone? AI. I mean, you want to talk about? I, I can't remember this big of a difference in performance between the Dow Jones Industrial Average and the Nasdaq. I mean, we're talking bigger than a 24% gap year to date. Um, can you, I mean, I, I well, I can't, I, can't year, I don't remember this big of a difference. Last, well, last year, year was the other one. It was a, yeah, kind of the it was opposite. Cool. You had the Nasdaq down 25 to 30%, and the Dow was maybe down five. So at, at one time or another, I remember last year. The and spread, the reverse. But it was flipped. Yeah, exactly. It was flipped. So Well, well, and, and, and as I just mentioned, as far as this AI technology, which has been the absolute steam engine for the NASDAQ this year and for the S&P 500, and I heard an interesting statistic uh, on Friday that if you strip out the – and we talked about it on past shows, but if you strip out the 10 – biggest market cap and best performing stocks of the S&P 500, just 10, just 10 names out of the 503 companies that are in the S&P 500 index. You strip those out, the S&P 500 is up 1% year to date. And we talked about this on last weekend's show. You look at the equally weighted S&P 500 index through Thursday's close, it is negative for the year. And so it is just this one theme it's this one system that is going to, to create a lot of efficiencies across a multitude of different industries worldwide in artificial intelligence. But 
you know, it almost gets to a point, particularly after Thursday and Friday, it almost gets to this FOMO, fear of missing out, when you see some of these moves in these names, whether it was Marvell on Friday or NVIDIA on Thursday, you had Broadcom two days in a row on Thursday and Friday. It's like any technology company that has a, a pinky finger into the AI industry, they got bought like hotcakes Thursday and Friday hey, this well, past there, week. There, there's an emerging term for that. It's called the AI halo. So any surrounding stocks that have to do with AI, it's a halo effect. So it's just you, you talk Bank of America uh, uh, had a comment about Broadcom. I saw Friday was up 11 percent. Just to your point, I was we got obviously Broadcom. Is that the halo? So. Halo effect, yeah. So it's a halo effect, and and I know Jeff. You know he's been at this. You know we've all been at this a long time, but Jeff a little bit longer than than us. Um, I know back in the uh, dot com era, managing money at Davidson Capital back then, when Joe and I were slugging it out in corporate America finance. The one conversation Joe and I had this past week is yes, these technology companies that have this halo effect with AI are definitely getting bought and bought very strongly. Uh, but the, I would say the difference between the dot-com bubble back in the day, back in the late 90s, early 2000, before it popped in March of 2000, is that these companies that are getting bought now that have involvement in AI in this halo effect, these are real companies with real products, real sales, real earnings, Real teams. It's not just some company out of a garage where two guys decide to go public and become billionaires overnight like it was during the dot-com Wild West era. Well, if you remember the dot-com era, there were companies that were doing producing a product or doing some service, and then all of a sudden they decide to pivot and put dot-com in their name, and they and they would double in a month even if they were really had no experience or had no idea what they were doing, they just called themselves a dot com and that just meant dot money. Now we're not at that we're not we're not no. at that level right now. However, I I question the involvement with some of these companies really in terms of AI. Well what is really their role? So there's a lot of hype right now. A lot of hype. And if you looked at some of the – I was watching, watching CNBC this afternoon, and it seemed like every banner all afternoon had the letters AI in it. Everybody they were talking to was talking about AI. Every company they were talking about was somehow involved in AI in, in some way, shape, or form. So as you said, Kyle, this, there's, there's a lot of momentum. Momentum equals fear of missing out, FOMO. Uh, at some point, it also equals hype. And at another point, uh, the valuations of these companies must be commensurate with their ability to justify those valuations. And I think uh, NVIDIA... I noticed that they were putting up their forward earnings estimates. Uh, I saw a statistic on Friday said their their forward earnings was like in the fifties, you know, fifty times uh, uh, earnings. That's forward looking. That's not 59. current. Yeah, yeah, it's, that's not. I, I think the the current is is in, is in triple digits. It is. And 
and it was up 27% on Thursday in one day. So it's we're, we're in it. We've been in it. Many of those names that Kyle just mentioned, we're also in, in it also. Uh, and have been for a long time. And have been for, you know, for an extended period of time. Had We've owned them before AI was even called AI. Exactly. Before it was <laughs> even a thing. Before they even discussed it in the financial entertainment press, we owned these names. You're saying we were in, country the, in the tech when, space. When country wasn't cool. So, yeah, right? that's right. That's right. Well, let's, let's pause right there. Let's take our first commercial break. When we come back, we'll be continuing this conversation, recapping the happenings of Wall Street over this past week. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. You Money Wise guys will be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Tuesday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from you Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. And don't forget, you can subscribe to the Money Wise podcast through Apple Podcasts or any of your favorite streaming podcast apps where you can leave your comments. And don't forget to like the show. So if you're just tuning into this weekend's Money Wise program, continuing to recap the happenings of Wall Street from this past week. And as we were talking in the last segment, you know, this entire week has just been driven by AI, artificial intelligence, the companies that are involved in it. Joe, I love your halo. It's the AI halo effect around these companies. And we saw companies, everything from Marvell to Broadcom to Cadence Designs, monolithic power systems was up over 20% in a week. Of course, NVIDIA that had a massive run on Thursday and was also up another 2.5% on Friday, all surrounding artificial intelligence. And the point that I was making in the last segment, and, and I know that some of the financial entertainment press and guys and gals that have been doing it as, you know, as long as we have as far as money managers, hearkening back to the dot-com era, but, you know, I, <laughs> Jeff, you said it during the commercial break, this time is different. Right. This time is different. And and I would say that no, one of the I'm, big I'm not saying this time is different. I'm what I'm saying is those out there No, I know, tongue in cheek. They want to perpetuate the hype mm-hmm. and justify the valuations and justify the moves. You you have to oh well it's just different this time. Yeah. You have you have to value these you gotta look at these companies a different way. And for a period of time that works. You know, in the dot com era there was there was a, a number of years that w- that went by where these where there were the comp- where we were, we were ignoring the fact that the companies that were participating the most in the up, upward swing of their stock valuations didn't have much revenue and didn't have any profits and those and those got ignored for a while and, and eventually they they do get noticed. Now, as you said, Kyle, I don't think any of those companies you just mentioned, they're all, they all have revenue. They all have profits. Mm-hmm. Now, their price-to-earnings ratio valuations, the classic way of valuing a corporation in terms of whether it does it make sense to make an investment at this point or not, um, their, their PE values are many, 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 many times uh, the current S&P 500. 
And so you have to, as an investor that isn't already involved in them, you have to make a judgment call of whether the hype lives up to the reality or the reality lives up to the hype, I should say. And the reality may not be fully known as we get into this down the road. Because I don't know what artificial intelligence is really going to mean for anybody's life. I, I just don't know. I mean, I think I said this a couple weekends ago. I mean, is, is it going to be uh, driving my car or flying a plane? Uh, is it going to take my job? Is it going to take other people's jobs? Um, I, so, I, I just, I, you know, to me, there just seems to be, so, so we're, so we're going to have an easier way of getting you know, we ask a computer a question, and it's going to give us an answer. Well, have, don't we already have that with Alexa? Or, or just hey, actually doing a Google search with a lot a of the research, or, yeah, a lot I mean, of the resources that are out there. But, but I mean, I, I, I agree and somewhat disagree because I think there's there will definitely be using artificial intelligence to help speed up different processes. I was reading as I do every single morning, wake up early and do a lot of reading before I head to the office, you know, they were talking about how computer programmers typically have to write weeks of code to kind of create the foundation of any type of computer program. And then they have to start putting the specialization codes on top of that. Well, they were saying that formative AI can take what would take a programmer three weeks. They could do it in about two to three minutes. So what I think AI will do into the future is it's going to help accelerate the speed of technology, more of a technological revolution. It's going to just speed up the time frame of getting things created and produced and becoming more efficient. So there's going to be more efficiency possibly in manufacturing, you know, and, and different kinds of, of professions that will be a very useful tool. I think it will take some jobs, Jeff, but I, I don't think it's going to be putting tens of millions of people out of a job. I don't think it's going to do that. I think it's just going to help everyone's job and work more efficiently. Well, Joseph, you want to say I, I mean, speaking of jobs, J.P. Morgan announced they're laying off, what, another 500 people? And part of it was tech. So I'm like, I'm thinking out loud a little bit. Does that have anything to do with AI? With AI. I didn't get it. Enough of a chance to research that, but it'll also be pretty interesting to see from a competition and a marketplace standpoint which companies can use and adapt and roll out AI faster. How's that going to improve their bottom line? Is it laying a certain amount of employees off? And and it's just going to be, it's going to make it even more challenging to pick as a stock picker to be right on with some of these stocks perhaps. Well, so. I think I, I think what it's gonna it's what it's gonna do, it's gonna help improve profit margins of some of these companies that are gonna be really using it as a trailblazer. Uh, but I can tell you this for the tech names that we own in our portfolio, some in the semiconductor fabrication space, some in the in the semiconductor uh, design and modeling space like a cadence. Um you know they were definitely they were definitely rewarded, and some of these names that we've owned, and Jeff, you know this, and Joe, you know this. You know from a valuation standpoint, they were extremely reasonably priced. Now, when you look at Nvidia, what we were talking about during the commercial break, is Crazy. I read an article. Yeah, I read an article over the over this past week where you have to value Nvidia differently now, and instead of looking Nvidia. Well, this was the focus of the article. In fact, in Market Watch on Friday, more than half the articles in there were about NVIDIA. 
And so they talked about looking at NVIDIA from a price-to-sales computation. And when you look at its price-to-its-sales, it's about 2.3 times price-to-sales, which is less than half of the price-to-sales multiple for the S&P 500 index. So if you're saying that NVIDIA is way overpriced from a price-to-earnings multiple standpoint – from a price to sales, it's half that of the S&P. Now, I'm yep. sure it's analysts trying to justify raising their price target from 375 to 500, as some have done, to justify why it can continue yep. to move higher. Um, but at the end of the day, you have to have earnings in order to pay shareholders a dividend. or I mean, you can have all the sales in the world, but if you're not making any money, is it really a good business? Well, let's I mean, talk about I, Amazon. Amazon Amazon forever didn't have profits. For 20 years didn't have profits. And I would say Amazon was true. pretty darn good. True, but, but, it, it, but it's still at a very high P.E. and people still piled into it. We owned it at one time. We don't own it currently. Um, so I, are there exceptions out there? Sure. There, there are exceptions to it. Uh, I, I just – the focus this year – so much on these on the on this these narrow parts of the market now it's that's all this ai focus but still you know apple i think was uh i saw apple up again on friday it came up it came up very near its all-time higher in the past week which i think is like 176 something like that yeah close to 175.43 on friday um so it's it's up against its all-time high but I think you said this in the first segment, so pardon me for repeating myself. Uh, the equally weighted S&P 500 ETF, which we've owned from time to time, we don't own it currently, has a negative return year to date. Mm-hmm. And the normally weighted S&P 500 is up 9.5% without dividends. Very all misleading. The, all, Very misleading and, market. And, and I'm going to ask you about volume since you're the volume man. Volume yeah. still doesn't look good. No, no, it do, it doesn't. And, and actually, I was thinking about this on Friday because just this continuation of this tech buying. And we had the S&P 500 finally close above 4,200, which it has not been at 4,200 since it didn't All close year. above 4,200 since August 25th of 2022. Which I so, mentioned last week that 4,200 was about the midpoint of this range that we've been in going back to the beginning of 2022. So now we're, what, 17 months in? Here we got two more trading days next week, Tuesday and Wednesday. If it stays around that 42, we've had, we've had 17 months. We're, you know, we're right in the middle, midpoint of that range again. Now, can we get above that range? Can we get above that range and stay there? That yeah. was I was going to bring that up. I mean, both of y'all stole my thunder. Well, I'm just kidding. Sorry, sorry, <laughs> Joe. But, but but the other thing, I, but the other thing I was thinking about on Friday is like some of these traders, some of the hot money, is acting like a dead deal has been done, and it's in the bag, and it's been written, and it's been voted and approved and signed by by President Biden, and it hasn't, and it hasn't. And back to the question about volume before we go to our next commercial break, volume was below average on Friday. And it was right at average on Thursday. So what volume is telling me is that there's still a little bit of a protest from the long-term investor still sitting on the sidelines that I I would 
I would hazard to guess it probably has something to do with this debt issue uh, or the debt ceiling. And when we come back, we'll talk a little bit more about that. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Your Money Wise guys will be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Tuesday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from you Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. And don't forget, you can subscribe to the Money Wise podcast through Apple Podcasts or any of your favorite streaming podcast apps where you can leave your comments. And don't forget to like the show. So I wanted to continue, if you're just tuning in this weekend's Money Wise program, before we went to commercial break, you know, sitting there Friday, you know, having the big run we had on Thursday, Friday, another nice run of the market. It's got the S&P 500 to close above 4,200 uh, for the first time since August of 2022. Uh, and Jeff was talking about the trading range we were in. But as I was talking about volume, volume is telling us that we still are having a protest of the long-term investor really coming in and buying with any kind of strength. And so it's still hot money that's sloshing around the market. But I was thinking to myself, you know, the way the market has behaved the last couple of days, it's as if a debt deal has been done and it hasn't. And even though Speaker McCarthy is trying to be as optimistic as he possibly can be and doing his best to cheerlead getting this deal done, we know we got the far left uh, crazy ants in the basement that are just basically saying no, 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 no. And they're trying to go, go away from Memorial Day weekend. I mean, I just don't see something getting done, signed, sealed, and delivered by June 1st. And then you have Fitch this past week threaten the credit rating of U.S. debt. Now, remember what happened back in 2011. They got the deal done at the last second. SM Standard & Poor's credit rating agency downgraded U.S. government debt to AA, and we saw a 19.83% correction in the S&P 500. And so this is, I guess, this is my concern and I guess my warning to all of our listeners not to get too swept up in this fear of missing out or FOMO in the AI space. I wouldn't recommend go rushing headlong and putting all of your money in 10 of the hottest AI stocks because this debt deal, if there's a delay and it goes past the deadline and we get a downgrade of, of our credit rating for U.S. government debt, you know, we could see another 2011 all over again. I, well, I do remember. Oh, I do remember. Wait, I got to. I'm sorry, Joe. Oh, okay. I, I have to right. interrupt. Wow. I mean, this is really bearish for you, Kyle. I was I about mean, to I, say. <laughs> I mean, there there are times where I can put sure, a bear jacket on. Are you sure that AI has not exchanged <laughs> your body for our father's body? And this is actually this is actually the loose cannon that's appearing on the show right now because I'm looking at my screen. And I see Kyle. I don't see my, my father, John. But wow, that is well, that is seriously bearish. There. Here, here's how I'll give you a take on the whole the debt thing. To me, sometimes it sounds like remember all the hoopla and hand wringing around the 2000 
change. Planes were going to fall out of the sky. The electricity was going to go off. We weren't going to have any water. You know, all these computers were not going to run. Remember all that? Yeah, I remember. I you know, do you really think, really think that uh, military personnel aren't going to get paid? Do you really think... Social Security recipients are not going to get paid. Medicare. No, no, I, mean, I, I, you, I think they will really get paid. That, yeah, they will get paid. It's the problem I is. Think, I think that's why the market's behaving the way it does, Kyle, and isn't behaving like it did in 2011 is is because we've seen this story before. We've seen this set of circumstances play out in the past, and I I cannot remember off the top of my head what else was going on in the markets at 12 years ago to have caused a decline like that. I know we recovered from it on the other side. Yeah, Joe. Well, that was my point. If you remember the S&P and you remember when the, the downgrade happened, I was in Port Aransas on the beach trying to take a vacation, trying to take a vacation when the market dropped 1,000 points. And I can't remember what the S&P was back then, okay, or the, or the, the Dow, rather. Okay. Well, it was it was a big. I mean, it was like a snap, almost like a snap bear market. And granted, the S and P five hundred wound up ending the year as statistically flat as it ever has been in history. If you strip out dividends, with dividends, the S and P five hundred was up two point one one percent for twenty eleven. But all I'm all I'm saying is, is I'm just kind of giving a friendly warning to our listeners, to our home gamers that, yes, the last two days of the market have been absolutely phenomenal in the tech space. But we've got the Dow not participating so far year to date. If we strip out the 10 stocks from the S&P 500, the S&P 500 is up 1%. Equally weighted S&P 500 is negative for the year. And so that also means that we have a lot of the market that's not participating. And, again, this leads me back to volume and the fact that it's just these hot money traders and the algorithms in this AI tech space that's been driving the market where it is so far year to date. And we need to get the rest of the market to start to participate. Yeah. All those reasons that you just laid out to me is more of a reason for the market to have a 10% correction, which would take the S and P back to zero for the year. And it would have to, it would have to come from all these, this narrow list of stocks that have driven us to this point. Now, to, to clue us in on some of the listeners, what we've done in the week just passed, refresh my recollection, was it, wasn't it? was it this week that we did a little trimming in a few of those names prior? Uh, you know, well, we, we, trimmed, we trimmed one. We, we were we thinking about one. trimming. We were thinking That's about right. trimming a few, but we definitely trimmed some profit out of NVIDIA before its earnings. Right. Because, you know, it had the, it had the possibility of going the opposite way down 27%. Well, and so the oldest saying we have in our office is you never go broke taking a profit. And we saw more than 100% increase in NVIDIA's value so far this year. So it never hurts to trim some of the profit. And that's what we did. And we brought it back to the weighting that we had in our allocation model right before earnings, and then it had its earnings, and we were able to catch that upside because we still own it. But the other tech names that we were thinking about trimming the profit, we didn't. We held off on that because they haven't had as much of a meteoric run as we had in NVIDIA. One other thing we did in the portfolio this week is we bought another treasury bond well, across the board. Add, 
I want to add something when we talk about taking a profit, because a lot of times I'll have a conversation with a client, and what do I mean by that? Oh, you sold the stock. No, no. If we, for instance, I believe NVIDIA was half a percent. It ran up all the way to 1%, and we trimmed back a little bit, but we we still didn't trim back to our original basis. To no. our original fifty basis point position, so we are essentially trimming, but we're not—we're not even taking all the profits. We're just taking some profits. But I think what sometimes what you have to understand when we talk about skimming profits, okay? What we're essentially saying is we're holding on to our cost basis in most cases, and we're just taking some of the gains. We're not selling out of the position altogether. Just to be clear no. on that. So, no, and we re- and we recommend for all of our listeners, you know, particularly if you have taxable accounts. You know, this isn't as big of a deal when it comes to IRAs, but when you have taxable accounts, you want to scrape profit throughout the year. You want to pay taxes as you go. You don't want to sit on a stock, not take any capital gains or scrape any profit for a decade, 15 years, because then you could be staring down the barrel of a massive long-term realized capital gain where you might have taxes in the hundreds of thousands of dollars, which we've seen with new clients that have been coming in to our firm throughout the years where they're not taking profits as they go. Uh, but but this is also goes back to why rebalancing is so critical because if you're not paying attention to what you own or why you own it and you're starting to see some of your stocks that have had these huge runs start to become these overweighted positions in your portfolio where your portfolio's value is living and dying by a handful of stocks and their performance in your portfolio because you haven't kept them in line with your overall model. So, for instance, if your model you're creating for yourself or you have and you say, I want every one of my stocks to be at 1.5%, and as time goes on, all of a sudden that one stock at 1.5% is now 5% of your portfolio. Well, that's where you need to scrape profits. You should have never allowed it to become 5% of your portfolio. And that's what we keep a very sharp eye on for our clients here at Davidson Capital. Never go broke taking a profit. Well, and and if you have a diversified strategy and you have a 30 plus year track record on, on individual stocks, you have to have a discipline that you use all the time. It can't be a part-time thing. You know, it has to be a discipline that you, that you implement consistently and you have to know when to sell and when to buy. But obviously it's always easy to buy. Always easy to buy, but you have to figure out when am I going to take those profits in a diversified portfolio in the long run. It's going to smooth out a lot of the volatility, and you know, and that's the same strategy we've had for over thirty years. Well, and I think I think again, Joe, what you're talking about is a philosophy, having a philosophy and sticking to it, and that's one of the you know a huge rule of anyone that's maybe managing their money on their own or working with a different advisor is understand what your advisor's philosophy is, and if they can't explain it to you then maybe you should question why am I with this advisor when they can't even explain what their philosophy is or what their discipline is when it comes to my portfolio. Well, you know, that, those are the questions that uh, that a, a investor needs to ask. I would also say if, if an advisor doesn't can't give you a coherent uh, discipline when it comes to asset allocation or security selection, that could be also a dead giveaway that, that you're – getting ready to have a passively managed portfolio and not an actively managed one. Or with somebody that doesn't actually manage the money themselves and they ship it off to an outside firm, which just adds an extra layer of fees that are going, that's going to affect your bottom line over the life of your portfolio. Well, let's pause right there. Let's take our commercial break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. 
Your Money Wise guys will be back after the break. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Tuesday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll-free at one 800 275 2162. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. And don't forget, you can subscribe to the MoneyWise podcast through Apple Podcasts or any of your favorite streaming podcast apps where you can leave your comments. And don't forget to like the show. So, in our last segment of the first hour of this weekend's MoneyWise program, you know, I know earlier in the show you guys were kind of giving me some, uh, some gruff uh, over being overly bearish and i don't want to say i'm overly bearish i'm just cautious i'm just cautious because although the market um you know you have to have some reverence for market history and they say that the market doesn't repeat but it does rhyme with itself and i know that getting this debt deal done i know what the republicans are having to deal with on the left hand side and of course i would say biden's cabinet is full of a bunch of inexperienced children uh, who have no idea because they're young millennials, not understanding, uh, you know, what could actually happen if we get a downgrade in our debt as, a, you know, our government debt. And we saw what happened when S&P did it back in 2011, and you had Fitch shooting a shot across the bow this past week. All right. So how much does that hurt the, the government's ability to sell its debt at extremely low yields? Post uh, the downgrade in 2011, from when S and P went from a triple A to a double A plus, how much did that affect the government's ability to find people to buy its debt? No, it didn't. Here's another question: How many people have ever heard of the rating agency Fitch until this week? So. Jeff, well, we have, of course. <laughs> so, no, 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 I mean, no, no one who 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 are these people? I mean, who's heard <laughs> of Fitch? You know, I'm sorry. I'm sorry to kind of throw them under the bus here, but if S and P had come out and said we're going to go from double A plus to maybe double A minus, I think that would have got more of the attention of the markets than Fitch, who's definitely a, the third in the you know the you got. S&P's number one, Moody's number two, Fitch has got to be number three. The market's had zilch reaction to it. I, I will say this. In 2011, I mentioned Port Aransas on the beach. I think I had a return. I made about 10 phone calls because I, I was a different firm. I had my own, my own book, and I had some stocks, ETFs, and funds. But I do remember I had PTSD from that day, Kyle, so I do appreciate – where you're coming from on that. And it, 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 I remember just having to call 10 people or I can't, maybe, maybe 15 and explain yeah. what the situation was. And I knew we would get through it, but also to just point, where are you going to go? It's like Tina, where else are you going to go? If you want to get, get something that's safe and guaranteed, you got to go to what? Well, you, you go got to treasuries. Go to no. That's what I'm saying. I mean, you go, you, you go, go to the globally? treasury market. Where are you going to go globally? I mean, you, you go, you go to the you go to the treasury market. I mean, that's why we're taking, you know, rates have been coming back up. And so we took advantage of it earlier this week, buying another two-year treasury uh, note for all of our clients across the board in the portfolios. And so we're taking advantage of these higher yields. And 
when they finally do come to a debt deal, the government is going to have to start issuing bonds in, immediately. And so we could actually see some sub, you know, 12 month treasuries, you know, one month treasuries, three month treasuries. We could see north of 6%. There's going to be some interesting opportunities potentially when this other side unwinds this. Yeah. Uh, for a short period of time. Uh, it's it's mm-hmm. not it's not going to it's not going to be for a long period. It just these dislocations in order to get things back on track. There's going to pardon me. There's going to be some opportunities and we may take advantage of some of the, some of those opportunities, pardon me. That's 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 where active management absolutely comes comes in key because I know this is a conversation we've had in our strategy meetings this past week because they're going to have to flood the market with some shorter term treasuries at higher yields to to entice buyers to come in. And we took advantage. I mean, the two year treasury got over four and a half percent this past week, and I was adding some treasuries to a client's portfolio that did put a. Uh, a 401k rollover and every single bond that we already owned that I had to add to on Friday, I was getting north of 5% yield to maturities in each one of the bonds that we've already owned and have for a period of time in our client portfolios. And so these yields have been coming up. So you got to take advantage of it. Active management is absolute key, but getting back to the, the, the more bearish side that you guys were giving me some, some flack for, I mean, I'm not saying that we're making, we're, we're doing any selling in the portfolio. I mean, when we look at our moderate allocations, we are less than a 45% exposure on the equity side of the market, highly diversified. We're definitely more growth at a reasonable price concentration in the large cap side of our portfolio that's paying north of 2.2% in dividend income. And so we kind of already have a well-diversified, more insulated portfolio as far as the names that we're owning, but we do have some growth exposure and we were able to be rewarded quite handsomely this past week with this, again, continue AI push into the market, into these tech names. So I would say for our listeners, you know, keep a sharp eye on your allocations. You don't want to get too far out over your skis when we have this debt deal still hanging overhead. I think they'll get it done. I think it's going to be pushed past the June 1st, and that June 1st was created by Janet Yellen. It's a, anyone's guess. It's kind of her best guesstimate. I've heard some people saying June 19th or sometime you know, later in June when it quote-unquote runs out of money, but the government's not going to be paying. They're not going to stop paying interest on their debt. That's not going to happen. Well, I, I think we, we stop paying them first. How about that? They take the first pay. Well, that's what, it, yeah, that's what everyone is saying, that they should be the ones that don't get a paycheck first because then it goes to the government contractors, then they have to start furloughing government employees. But the Medicare checks, Medicaid checks, Social Security checks are still going to be going out. They're still going to be paying the white bill at the White House, although not that Joe Biden would really, you know, notice. Um, he's probably he's probably before the sun goes down with his, you know, tough he's, got, he's got his ice cream ready this weekend. It's cool. Yeah. So so all I'm saying is you have to be nimble. You have to stay on your toes. You know, I wouldn't get caught up in this FOMO. But there are still a lot of great tech companies that have been participating in this big run. Those valuations aren't completely out of whack uh, that still have this AI halo, but there's a lot of great, solid, fundamentally sound companies that haven't participated at all and haven't in over a year. And so there's a lot of great values and a lot of great pickups, but you have to do your homework and you have to go and you have to search them out. It's like a safari to find these solid 
these fundamentally sound, solid companies with great valuations and great long-term growth prospects and picking them up at quite a discount. And I can say there's still a lot out there because we've got about 10 stocks driving most of the market so far this year. So next so, week we've got the unemployment rate on Friday. And if it's hotter than expected and you put it together with the PCE number on that we just had on Friday that was higher than expected – don't be surprised if we start hearing more and more and more talk about a rate increase in the month of June. So with that, we're going to go to the top of the hour break, go into the news. When we come back, we'll be diving into the second hour of this weekend's Money Wise program. I want to wish everybody a happy and safe Memorial Day weekend. Be safe. Don't drink and drive. And when we come back from the top of the hour break, we'll head in the second hour, continue with investor education. So stay tuned, and we'll do that after this. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Money Wise guys will be back after the news. All opinions expressed by Davidson Capital Management on Money Wise are solely theirs and are based upon information they consider reliable and is subject to change without notice. You should be aware of the risk in investing in any security or investment strategy discussed on the show. Before acting, you should consider whether it is suitable for your particular circumstances and should seek advice from your own financial or investment advisor. Past performance is not indicative of future results. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office, toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. And don't forget to subscribe to the MoneyWise podcast on Apple Podcasts, where you can like the show and leave us a comment. So as we're diving into this second hour of this weekend's Money Wise program, shifting gears into investor education is like we like to dedicate the second hours of every weekend's program going in and really pulling the curtain back and trying to educate investors uh, all across this state and anyone who's listening to our podcast and our terrestrial radio show and was thinking about some topics from an educational standpoint, and, and wanted, I came up with a title, and I alluded to it just a little bit. But I wanted to talk about, in this second hour, of the things that Wall Street won't tell you. Now, to give a little bit of history of Davidson Capital Management, why our father started our firm back in 1989, is he wanted to pull the curtain back on Wall Street. Pull the curtain back, bring integrity, honesty, ethics, transparency into the investor-advisor relationship. And in all of our years of business and all the hundreds upon hundreds and hundreds of portfolios, portfolio reviews we have done, we have come to just notice a very ongoing consistent theme when we do these portfolio reviews. And we're doing portfolio reviews from prospective clients that have accounts at Merrill Lynch, Morgan Stanley, Ameriprise, Fidelity, Schwab, Edward Jones. I mean, you name any major uh, brokerage firm in this country that markets on television, print, ad, computer, what have you, follows you all across the internet, we have reviewed these types of portfolios. And over the last 30 plus years of being in business, we just see these very consistent 
themes recurring again and again and again in prospective clients' portfolios. And we talk about it from time to time during the first hour of the Weekend's Money Wise program throughout the years. But I wanted to dive a little bit deeper into this topic and really pulling the curtain back and talking about the things of what these big Wall Street firms are not going to be telling you as an investor. And as we've said from day one on the Money Wise program is that you always have to dig deeper. You, you cannot take things for face value. You have to have your questions on hand when you're out there interviewing a prospective advisor that you're wanting to work with, or if you're already working with an advisor, questions that you need to go back and ask and get these answers. And if you're not receiving proper answers or answers that are just not making you feel very at ease, then maybe it's time for you to take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis to get that second opinion. And that's the purpose for us to be doing the portfolio reviews and analysis that we do and have been doing for the past 30 plus years is to give that second opinion to investors. So one of the first trends and themes that we're constantly seeing from all these major brokerage firms when we do portfolio reviews is portfolios that are just chalked full with a multitude of exchange-traded funds and mutual funds. And when I say chalked full, I can take an example of prospective client's portfolio who is working with Fidelity. And in one account, not only had over 30 exchange-traded funds, but had over 25 mutual funds. So we're talking over 50 individual positions in either mutual funds or exchange-traded funds. And the first question that comes to my, my mind is, why? Why do you need so many? Why is this shotgun blast approach where tiny bits of this prospective client's assets were allocated to such a vast, large number of exchange-traded funds and mutual funds. So one thing you have to remember about exchange-traded funds, but you know, by and large, the exchange-traded funds that we invest in and we see that in these other organizations invest in, uh, they are in, a, in and of themselves diversified investments. They have hundreds of different securities inside, say, an individual exchange-traded fund. Same holds true for mutual funds. They can t- contain hundreds of different investments. So when you have a portfolio that has 50, 60 different exchange-traded funds and mutual funds, and each one of those exchange-traded funds and mutual funds holds 100-plus securities, well, you can imagine, well, that's it just if you each one of them held 100 securities and you had 50 different positions, that would be 5,000 different securities. Now, they don't actually own 5,000 different securities in, in all of these uh, exchange-traded funds and mutual funds combined. What they end up, what ends up happening is, is there is so much overlap when you look at the portfolio in totality. They, they might have 10 different exchange-traded funds and mutual funds that invest in the exact same asset class which mean me like large cap growth stocks or small cap growth stocks 
or mid-cap growth stocks or value stocks, so on and so on and so on. And so at the end, at the end our opinion is when we see a portfolio like this, to, to us what it appears is it appears to be marketing more than anything because it's not really serving the client. It's, it, it's, it's over diversification in names, but it's really over, this is so totally over diversified. It makes no sense to, to design a portfolio this way, except for one reason. And that is marketing. In well, our opinion. And, and, and the marketing that also is appearance right. to appear as if they're doing more right. in your portfolio than what they actually are. Because, at Davidson Capital Management, if you're in our asset builder program where we own nothing but exchange-traded funds and no-load mutual funds, we don't have 25 different exchange-traded funds or mutual funds. You know, there's been times where we've had maybe up to nine, maybe 10, sometimes seven. What we do as portfolio managers, as in-house money managers, is we vet each and every one of the positions, each one of the exchange-traded funds and mutual funds to determine if they're, in our opinion, from our analysis and research, the best of breed for the respective asset class that we want represented in the portfolio at this particular time. And so I want to hold right there, and we'll pick up this conversation on the other side of the break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. We'll be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. And don't forget, you can subscribe to the Money Wise podcast through Apple Podcasts, where you can leave your comments, and don't forget to like the show. So if you're just tuning in to this weekend's Money Wise program, we'll continue with investor education and talking about what Wall Street won't tell you. And so before we went to break, talking about portfolios that we have reviewed that just have a multitude of exchange-traded funds and mutual funds, a, a situation where you get over-diversified in a portfolio and why these major brokerage firms across the country do this. And in our opinion, it is for marketing. It is to appear as if they're doing more work in a client's portfolio than they actually are. And so before we went to break, I was talking about the process that we go through inside of our asset builder program, where we own nothing but uh, no load mutual funds and exchange traded funds. And these are for clients that have less than a million dollars of investable assets in one singular account. Now, when we go through our process, we're looking for best of breed. So when we're looking for a large cap growth manager, we're sending the large cap growth actively managed no load mutual fund managers through our gauntlet. They're going through our proprietary process of research and analysis, utilizing our 70 plus years of combined experience here at Davidson Capital Management to find what we consider the best of breed large cap growth manager for that particular asset class period. Not two of them, not three, not six, but the best. Now, once we make a selection of that particular no-load mutual fund for that particular asset class, they will then be continuously vetted to ensure that they're adhering to why we have selected them 
to be inside of the portfolio for our clients. So we're going to be looking at consistency of style. We're going to be looking at the portfolio and the information we can ascertain. What are their top 10 holdings? How concentrated or unconcentrated are they? What holdings do they own? Do we continue to agree with their investment management philosophy? So once we buy this position, it's not just buy and forget it. We're going to be constantly sending it through our gauntlet. And if for some reason it falls out of our criteria through our proprietary system, guess what? They get sold. They get sold. So it's not just buy and hold. We're buying and it's constant homework. Joe, I know you wanted to say something. Well, sure. And I think going through this process and working quite a bit in the 401k space, we have our process already set up to where we know if one of these particular investments are going to be on the watch list. And from time to time, the three of us will put our heads together. But when you have a team approach, you really dive down deep into the, into the particular mutual funds. And one thing you didn't mention, Kyle, or I don't think is manager tenure. You know, if you have a new manager That's in a right. mutual fund, what does that mean to that particular portfolio? We might watch it temporarily. And if it's somebody that's coming on board that's been with the team a while and they're going to take over the day-to-day portfolio management, you know, we might give them a pass. But but also part of the number side of it, and we were talking about this uh, a couple of times in the past, is portfolio management is just not numbers. There's also It's also art to a certain extent. And some funds may do better in a down market than others. Um, and I wanted to bring that up too. I mean, portfolio management is a combination of multiple things. And that also bodes true with mutual funds and to a lesser extent ETFs. But, but, and again, that's where research comes into play. When we go through our research process, we're looking at upside capture. We're looking at downside capture. We're looking at all of these technical and fundamental indicators to determine whether or not we feel that this is going to be the best investment option. But what we have seen from the other big Wall Street firms is, well, let's just shotgun blast and put, let's put six, let's put 10 large cap growth managers. One or two of them have got to hit. One or two of them got to do a good year. Well, what about the rest of your money in the other five or six that are, are not doing well? What, what happens to the overall performance of your portfolio? You know, the other thing you have to determine and figure out, what are you actually paying for the multitude of all of these different investment options? If you do have 20, 30, 40 different exchange-traded funds and mutual funds in your portfolio, and we're just seeing this to be occurring more and more as the years have gone on. And I've had conversations with prospective clients that are with very large, very well-known, very reputable money managers where they have been told to their face that human beings do not manage money anymore at these firms. And they allow computers or algorithms to be making the investment decisions that, as you said, Joe, they're trying to equate money management down to numbers, down to technicals. But I hate to tell you, just Joe, just like you said, and this was something that our father taught Jeff and I many, many moons ago, is that managing money is a science, but it's also an art. And here's the thing that you have to remember. Algorithms are computer programs written by human beings. What if those human beings got their scenarios crossed? Their math was off. Their assumptions were wrong. That that algorithm is worthless. It's absolutely worthless because human beings have to write the actual algorithm. And so what we have seen in these super mega money management firms is they have become victims 
of their own success, of their own asset gathering to where they physically can't have human beings managing money anymore for their clients. And so then you well, as well, the they, client, they could, but they the could, problem is the problem is it's profits. That's right. It's profits. It's, it's profits. So the question you have to ask, if you are a client of one of these type firms, what, what am I paying my management fee for if a computer is doing it? So I'm getting charged all these management fees for the internal expenses for the exchange traded funds and the mutual funds. Then I pay a portfolio management fee on top of that. But you're telling me that you're having a computer make the decisions because you're just such a giant super tanker of a money manager. You know, the question I would be asking is what happens if there's a dramatic event in the market? How fast can you move? How fast can you make changes in my portfolio? And they're not going to be able to answer that question and give you a definitive answer. Which leads us to really the most important part of, I think really the most important part of all this is that the person that you're talking to the vast majority of the time at the big mega wall street firms, the list that you gave in that first segment, Kyle and others is the person that you're talking to is not actually the decision maker. The decisions are made someplace else either by a computer or a human in a computer. And you never, you have no relationship with the decision maker. The only relationship you have is with the person that's charged with maintaining the relationship. And so in in the vast majority of cases, and I have never seen in the history of us doing portfolio reviews, I've never seen any of those wall street firms beat us in terms of management fees, overall cost to the client. So if if we're if our if our value proposition at Davidson Capital Management is you get to actually speak with the people that are actually making every single investment decision and doing it for less than the big Wall Street houses in much more focused portfolios. You know, our fo- our portfolios are laser focused. The shotgun approach. The shotgun approach is like putting five quarterbacks on the field at the same time or putting five pitchers on the mound at the same time. <laughs> you don't do that. What do you do? You put your best players on the field. You got a bench, but you also have the best players on the field at the right time. You don't you don't buy 10 different large cap stock ETFs and mutual funds and put them in the portfolio. That makes no sense whatsoever. Pick the best one. That's what you put in the portfolio. Why can't the big Wall Street houses with all their people and all their computers and all their uh, all the things they have at their disposal research? Why why do they have to build a portfolio where they where, where they shotgun approach everything? Yes, Kyle. I- I can answer part of that question because of proprietary relationships they have with the outside mutual fund managers and exchange traded fund providers and the revenue sharing agreements that they have. Why charge your client a one and a quarter percent management fee where you can charge them one and a quarter percent management fee, then invest their money in a mutual fund that charges another one percent. And then that manager of that 1% mutual fund kicks back to you another quarter of 1%. And now you're charging your client, you're making even more money off of one client because of the kickbacks and the proprietary 
relationships that they have. So then as if you're a client of these types of firms, you have to ask yourself, are the players on my field the best players? Or are they the players that pay the biggest kickbacks to the firm that, that I work with? So then the firm that you're working with, you have to think, how objective are they in their investment-making or portfolio design process when they're getting paid X number of dollars from this outside mutual fund manager or this outside exchange-traded fund manager? Are they truly objective? And I can answer that question right now. The answer is absolutely not. They are not objective when they're getting revenues shared with them. Well, let's take another commercial break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Money Wise guys will be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. Don't forget, you can subscribe to the Money Wise podcast through Apple Podcasts, where you can leave your comments, and don't forget to like the show. So if you're just tuning in this weekend's Money Wise program, going into investor education and a Really, this second hour, we're talking about what Wall Street won't tell you. And so before we went to break, we're talking about the lack of objectivity that we have seen, in our opinion, over the last 30-plus years of being in business with these mega-large Wall Street firms from the Merrill Lynch's, the Edward Joneses of the world, to the Ameriprises, proprietary relationships, meaning revenue sharing that they are receiving from outside mutual fund managers, from outside exchange-traded fund managers that clouds the objectivity of the firm that an investor is working with to ensure that these particular investments find their way in your portfolio. But the question you have to ask yourself, were these the best choices? Was this the best of breed? Yeah, Joe. Well, sure. Kyle, dovetailing on what you're talking about, and just the other week I was reviewing a – looking at a particular firm and – one thing we do is, yes, we research our investments. We also research our competitors. We also look at their ADV Part 2, other disclosures. But if they are using proprietary mutual funds, a lot of times the, the point is, what is Wall Street not telling you? Well, that firm, generally speaking, has to tell you, and it actually said there in black and white, there's a conflict of interest because this particular firm is using their own proprietary funds, and it's disclosed in black and white. So you can actually pull back the curtain on Wall Street, but you have to know how to do your own research on this. And, and most individual investors won't. You can go to broker check. You can type in the name of the firm that you're working with, that you're thinking about working with, and you can go into their ADV Part 2 through the SEC website to be able to research what potential conflicts of interest, what other proprietary relationships they have. I know of one particular firm that has commercials all the time they actually disclose how much in revenue they're receiving on an annual basis from these outside firms. And so it, it's no surprise that when we do portfolio reviews of prospective clients that are working with this particular firm, why we typically see the top three 
mutual fund families that provide the biggest amount of revenue to this firm as the only three mutual fund families that show up in a portfolio. And, and, and again, this is, this is what should really be raising question marks above anyone's head that is working with these large firms. And then you also have to ask yourself, why am I working with these larger firms? Does a larger firm that have the marble columns, as dad calls it, the fancy, you know, the fancy offices, the big name brands, the huge marketing campaigns and all the commercials and what have you, does that provide a higher level of comfort to you? as an investor, a higher level of security. I mean, that is what they are relying on. This is why they do it. They're relying on their marketing and their fancy offices and all the sharp-dressed folks that work for them to, to, to create this sense of security when what they're doing in the portfolios from our reviews and analysis isn't anything to write home to mom about. It's the we're big, and so we must be good if we're this big. Yeah. It just means they're bigger, great marketers. Bigger, bigger doesn't mean better. Bigger just means they, they spend more money on marketing. That's right. They're bigger asset gatherers. And, you know, we've utilized the MoneyWise program to educate for the last 16-plus years, to educate investors, to warn them. You know, we'll, we, we will make 10 investment decisions. Six to seven of them will work. Three to four of them won't. We're not saying that we're the end-all, be-all money manager, but the one thing that the, the multiple things that we are is transparent, completely honest and ethical. And as far as from a fee standpoint, there is not another firm on the street that can touch us when it comes to the management fees that we've charged. We have 100%. no conflicts of interest. And we don't have any revenue sharing. No one pays us to own any of their investments. All the investments are vetted and put into and, – and, and client money is invested in it based on the merits of that particular investment, not based on any sort of revenue-sharing agreement that, that, we, that we don't have with anybody and never have had and never will have. Yes, Joe. Yeah, well, Joe. I, one of the things we're talking about, really about proprietary relationships with mutual funds – in mutual funds, ETFs, but the one thing that we always emphasize is that as asset allocation. And when you have a down market or you have a correction or during the pandemic uh, or during the financial crisis, your first line of defense is what? And we all know what this is. It's asset allocation, right? Individual uh, act- equity select. Active asset allocation. Correct. So my point being is if you are interviewing an advisor at a particular firm, and there are some that are out there that do their own research, Ask them, do they create their own asset allocation models? Are they going with what the firm recommends? That's a very, that's a question you need to ask. And if that's the case, that's great. Ask them, okay, when was the last time you made a decision on a particular mutual fund or ETF or separately managed account that's, that, that's in that allocation? So what well, getting at I, is that's a big part of, of the investment management process and active versus passive management is who's doing the allocations. Well, and, and, and you brought up a point because – Yes, we're talking about all the major firms out there, and there are still some diamonds in the rough. There are still some traditional stockbrokers on the financial sales side of the business that deal, that still do their own security selections, that do manage their own portfolios. There, there are. They're few and far between, but there are. But your line of questioning, Joe, is absolutely dead on. Where are you finding your research? 
Because if they are selecting their own securities, whether it's mutual funds, exchange traded funds, or individual stocks, where are you getting your research? That is a great question to ask. If they're just getting the research from the firm that employs them, is that truly objective? I mean, I could bore our listeners with the multi-layered process, our proprietary process that we go through in vetting every single security that we select at Davidson Capital Management, but I don't want, especially if people are listening to the show driving, I don't want to put them to sleep and cause any accidents. But when we go and do our research, we're getting our information from a multitude of different sources, not you know, not, not to also exclude our own proprietary screening process of 44 points of screens that we have put into place. Screen one, 22 points. Screen two, an additional 22 points to vet our list of individual stocks when, when we're owning individual stocks. And then we cross-reference that from a multitude of other research firms, not just one not just our custodian who's Schwab, we look at a multitude of different ones. And so that is another important question to ask. If you do work with an advisor that is actively selecting their own securities, but then to follow up if they are doing that selection is when was the last time you made changes in your portfolio? What is your performance track record? How old and long is that performance track record? Well, one thing when we're doing research and we use databases to input when we're doing a portfolio review, it's kind of interesting because there are some prospective clients that a year and a half ago, I've, I've put everything into the software, put all their positions, all our asset allocations, and then maybe a year later or a year and a half later, they haven't come on board as a client yet. And I'll say, hey, can you give me that, that statement from that portfolio they reviewed a year and a half ago? If the allocations are the same, and the securities are the same, and they're charging you 1% or more, you really got to look yourself in the mirror and go, what am I doing? You know, I, and I've, I've seen it multiple times. That is not active management. That is a portfolio that is put together on hope and prayer. And, and from a, a, a scientific versus, you know, science versus art perspective, you look set at it. Yeah. Set it and forget yeah. it is not a long-term successful investment strategy. And we certainly saw this in the financial crisis of 08, 09, uh, where we met with prospective clients that had monies invested with the big Wall Street firms. And when, when a client tells you, well, I lost 40%, 50% in, in 2008, well, I know two things that happened. One, there was far too much money invested in stocks in that particular portfolio and two no one was managing anything to have lost that much money and that's what the vast i think the vast majority of the uh, of the wall street firms uh count on the statistic that the market's going to be up 80 percent of the time that's just what the statistics say 74 percent but close okay 74 percent since 1926 and so they, they play the probabilities. We just stay invested all the time. Yeah. We, we, we very rarely sell. We very rarely reallocate. We just, we're, we're always in it for the long, we're long-term investors, quote unquote. <clears throat> and so the, 
the other 26% of the time when the markets are down, every once in a while, you'll have a 30% down year. It's very rare, but they're out there. Most of the time, it's down 5, down 10, whatever. But the point of the matter is, is there's no active management occurring. And really, the key to long-term successful investment management it's not necessarily beating the S&P when you have years like when you have back to back or back years of up markets. It's keeping your hole shallow when the markets are down. That's where a real active management comes into play. Yeah, because remember, you lose 50 percent of the value of your portfolio. You have to make 100 percent just to get back to where you started. And I want to pick up on that point on the other side of the break. So let's do that now. Let's take our next break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. We'll be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation, take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys. You can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll free at one 800 Two seven five two one six two. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send our emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. Don't forget to subscribe to the MoneyWise podcast through Apple Podcasts, where you can comment, and don't forget to like the show. So in our last segment of this weekend's MoneyWise program and wrapping up our investor education on what Wall Street won't tell you, and right before we went to break, we were talking about what 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 we truly believe what builds and maintains long-term wealth. It's not capturing every percentage gain in up years. It's keeping your hole shallower in down years, playing a great defense. That is the best long-term strategy for offense. So we were talking about all the major brokerage firms of every name brand that you could think of that has commercials and print ads, what have you going through situations like the financial crisis, or even going back to the dot-com bubble bursting as Jeff said in the last segment, when the stock market 74% of the time since 1926 has had positive returns, when we have those abnormal years where we're down, have a 30% down year like during the financial crisis or have dramatic, long, protracted pullbacks in the market, brokerage firms are just going to say, stay the course. Just stay the course. You don't want to you don't want to make any adjustments. You don't want to make any changes. Well, we would recommend, yeah, you don't go 100% to cash. We would agree with every Wall Street firm in existence. You never go 100% cash because that is a failed strategy. But playing a great defense with the proper allocation, active asset management, very stringent proprietary security screening process, and keeping that hole shallower allows you to recover that much faster. Because let's say you go down. 50% and you need a hundred percent to get back to where you started and to get to that hundred percent, it's going to take the next two to three years to get there. Well, what if your portfolio was only down 15% and then you were able to get back in at a lower price with the cash that was raised because there was active management and you played active defense, your portfolio would be far ahead of a portfolio that just was static during this downturn and didn't play defense. Another reason why Wall Street doesn't pay defense is because of revenues. Absolutely right. Because if they if, if they were to reduce 
securities in, a, in an investor's portfolio and go to cash for a period of time, those that that those securities that were sold would not be generating any revenue sharing for the firm because they would no longer be in the portfolio. And we saw that a lot with one particular firm, which I'm not going to name that has a lot of revenue sharing agreements. Um, But that's, that's probably the biggest reason why wall street doesn't sell when, when, when times get, you know, capitalism, the nature of capitalism is there's going to be booms and then there's going to be, Periods where things are very quiet, flat, if you will, and then sometimes they're busts. That's just the nature of capitalism. And so, in the bust times, if Wall Street, who's who would already be suffering because it was bust times, would go in and start selling in mass securities out of their clients' portfolios, remember it's buy low, sell high. If they did that then they would also be cutting their own throats and reducing their revenues even more. And so they don't. And that's why we time and time again, we hear in the, when we, the tough times, there will be tough times again. There always are. We'll see these same folks in our offices telling us their story. Well, you know, we are doing so well for so long. And that's the other thing, you know, people get complacent. Investors get complacent when the markets do well for extended period of times, they don't care about revenue sharing. They don't care about way too many. They they don't care about management fees. They don't care about the, the, the excess number of securities in their portfolio. They don't care about how they vote, have 10 large cap mutual funds in their portfolio and 20 small cap mutual funds in their portfolio, because every month I'm getting a statement and it's going higher and I'm making more money. And I got a big smile on my face and you get complacent. But then when it turns, and it's like you come visit you know, someone like Davidson Capital and we look at the portfolio. So, well, here's the reason why the portfolio failed so miserably in the down markets for this, 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 and this. Oh, and by the way, you're paying this for all of this, this failed strategy. And people are like, wow, I wish I'd have known this. I wish I'd have heard you earlier. I wish I'd have heard if we this had segment. A dollar, if we had a dollar for every time we have heard that over the last 30-plus years, and we hear it all the time. And so our recommendation would be to save yourself the grief, not getting complacent, as we have always said, and take this right from Joe, stealing your thunder, Joe, knowing what you own. Well, if if you don't truly know what you own, you don't truly know what your asset allocation model looks like, you don't know how much you're paying, you don't know if it's being actively managed, this is why we offer portfolio reviews and analysis to prospective clients to get a second opinion from a team of portfolio managers that have over 70 years of combined experience that truly manage money in-house that do our own research, that select our own securities. And, oh, by the way, we haven't said it this whole segment, we eat our own cooking, meaning we personally own the same securities our clients own. So you can bet that they've been vetted to an inch of their life because if they're going to be going into my portfolio or Jeff's or to Joe's, they're darn good enough to be in our clients' portfolios, and they're going to be properly managed. So save yourself the grief before that downturn or – on the other side of a downturn, when you've lost 20, 25, 30% of your nest egg's net worth because you felt that, 
well, I was with so-and-so firm. They're so well-known. They've been around for 70 or 80 years. They have hundreds of billions of dollars under management. They're supposed to be good because I hear about them all the time. What, why did they not perform for me? And this is what happens. They're great asset gatherers. They're great victims, marketers. Great marketers. They're the victims of their own success at asset gathering to where they can no longer truly actively manage money hands-on and leave it up to a computer algorithm that was also written by a human being that could have a lot of different failed strategies in that algorithm and wind, and who winds up becoming the victim of all of this? You, the investor. This is why we do portfolio reviews, to peel, to pull that curtain back and to tell you and to teach you and let you know about the things that Wall Street won't tell you. With that, we're coming up to the end of this weekend's Money Wise program. Again, if you'd like to give us a call, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. You can send all your emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. Don't forget, subscribe to the Money Wise podcast on Apple Podcasts. And with that, for Jeff... Our good man, Joe, this is Kyle Davidson wanting to thank you for listening to this weekend's Money Wise program. And to your financial health, we will talk to you next week.